2014. Those two simple things that we're instituting right now in our country can really save a lot of lives from being sick. And it seems so simple, but they would, for thousands and thousands of years, they wouldn't even wash their hands between surgeries. They just have some water and rinse it off. It's the same bowl they used previously. It was insane. So it was fascinating. I was a little jealous. I wanted to preach that one. But uh, I love uh, just what God does uh, for his people and for us. But we're looking now at the first time they're right on the edge of the promised land. They're being kind of pumped up and prepped by Moses. And there's kind of this verse that sticks out to me. But because my servant Caleb is in spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, and we're going to hear about Caleb and Joshua. And as we go through, just kind of maybe hold something in your mind that you've been on the edge of, that you know this is what God would want me to do. And either you failed or you've stepped into it by faith, and God is just blowing your mind with how he takes care of things. Um, and that's really what's going on with an entire nation. So put yourself in Israel's place, and you're kind of just creeping up closer and closer to that promise that you know you can do because God said you can. You know that it's right there for you, and you're waiting on the edge. And there are so many reasons that we act like Israel and, and pull back and shy away. Um, and those three things, first, uh, right before they get there, they have some leadership trouble with Miriam and Aaron. And then they get right up to the edge of God's promises. And then we get to see um, 10, there's 12 spies. Two of them see the situation very differently than the other 10. Numbers 12. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. For he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. And here's my favorite verse. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Who wrote this book? Moses. Um, I, and I'm sure he's like, God, I can't put that. Um, it is possible that someone was doing commentary on it and went back and wrote that Moses was the most humble man on all the earth. Um, but it's just kind of funny to think of him writing it himself. Uh, so here's a situation, and the Kushites are northern Africa. They're darker skinned, and as Americans, we look at it and we think, well, Miriam's racist. That's not cool. Uh, what's actually happening is the Kushites were a ruling class. They had Hebrew slaves. They were kind of just a royal race, and they would have other races come in and serve them, and they were just dominant. So what Miriam is actually afraid of is that he's now marrying this Kushite woman who is so far above us, and we're a slave people. Maybe she's going to take my spot. So it's not the classic, you know, American against African racism going on here. This is a Jewish slave nation, and his sister is worried that he's going to take a ruling class wife and replace her. So she's a little jealous or insecure and afraid, and they really say, well, you're not the only one, Moses, that God has spoken through. We have revelation. I've led the whole nation in worship to God, and Aaron is the high priest. And at once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, stood at the entrance of the tent, and summoned Aaron and Miriam. And it's like when your dad hears you arguing and says, Kids, get in here! And you walk in there like, oh no, I made a mistake. Uh, 
So he, he has Aaron and Miriam right in front of them. And when the two of them stepped forward, he said, Listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my ser servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And we just have kind of a, a good lesson here. It, if, if you have someone in authority over you or someone that has led you and led you spiritually, a parent, whatever it is, be fearful and respectful in how you call them out or contradict or say, hey, I'm not sure. And, and it says honor your father and mother. You may have times where you've got to correct your parents, but it better be with fear and respect and honor. And they did it wrong. They gossiped. They slandered, and God here is calling them out, and it gets rough. The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease, and he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, and now they're respectful, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with half its flesh eaten away. Leprosy is incurable in these days. It was awful. You were put outside of the, the camp and you could follow along and straggle and maybe your family could throw food to you but they could never touch you. They couldn't be near you without becoming unclean. This was a death sentence that was certain but the suffering of it and, and there's stories and places, few places in the world where it still exists where just... You can't feel, and so you'll kick something or you'll grab something and you'll stub your finger or toe, and it'll just fall off eventually because you have no pain receptors there. And it's just a gross, scary, awful disease. And so Aaron is begging Moses, just please don't hold our sin against us. So Moses cried out to the Lord, good one, God, she deserves it. No. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. And he's just a good brother. He's a good leader. He's a good friend. He doesn't, there's not a, a well, there's one point, and he doesn't get to go to the promised land for it, but we're not quite there. Uh, but there's, he rarely takes what's his and says, you deserve that. And so many times with this crazy people that he is leading, he, even God says, God, he's like, Moses, let me just wipe them all out. It'll be better for you, and I'll restart with you. It'll be wonderful. And then Moses says, no, how could you do that to your own people? Moses just has a, a very forgiving and quick to cry out for other people kind of heart. And the Lord replied to Moses, if her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until she was brought back. And so we get to see uh, she does have an incredible amount of respect from Israel as a nation, and the people love her. They wait for her for seven days till she can come back. After that, the people left Hazaroth and encamped in the desert of Paran. And now they're getting closer and closer to the promised land. But kind of in this whole leadership mess that happened, we get to see that there is forgiveness, there is restoration, but there's still consequences. And sometimes... You may be forgiven by someone you love. Maybe you've really broken their trust, and it's okay. You don't get that trust restored back like that. You get forgiven, but you have to earn 
certain things afterwards. You have to earn trust. You have to earn just the ability to maybe for someone to be open with you again because you betrayed them. There's, there's consequences even after forgiveness. And when it comes to salvation, it's, it's so insane that we get forgiven and now we can mess up and mess up and mess up and we're still saved. And that should cause us to repent, to have sorrow over sin, but also to just have that untouchable joy because this is one of those situations where we're forgiven and there's not consequences. And that's, that's just the mystery of Christ. And there are, there are consequences to, in this life when we mess up, but not for our salvation. That's held safe and secure, and, and we can just rest in it no matter what. So, Numbers 13. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men before the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So, 12 spies, and I just like this story as a kid, going out to scout out the land, and it's the best man from every tribe. And we're skipping ahead, but they, they list every man who gets sent. And when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on to the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. And we have another example of Moses just being a wise leader. And any decision that you're going to make, maybe you know God wants me to do this. You're right up on the edge of it. It is good to gather information. What should, what do other people do? And, and just, you know, Google's a great place for that. But also just many spiritual advisors. If you're going to make a big decision, if you're going to buy a house or buy a car, and, and so often... We just make rash, quick decisions because we want something right now. It is good to be patient, to, to ask for advice, to gather information, to scout out the land. And when they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and large and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So it was just like you said, but I didn't know it was going to be this hard. And how many situations do we have that almost weekly? I know I'm supposed to do this, but this is harder than I'd like it to be. And we wait and we hesitate. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. It's a very different reply, a different feeling than the other spies. And the men with him who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. They have just seen God, without them lifting a finger, destroy Egypt, destroy Egypt's entire army. And they've already fought a battle where Moses had his staff up and then it would go down and then they would start to get beat and the staff was back up. And they got to see that God is fighting for them. 
So who is stronger than them? Nobody. Because who is stronger than God? And yet, here they are again, doubting him. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. Now, so it started just saying, there's strong people. Now they're, they're embellishing and gossiping. And all the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like, gra- seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And so after the flood in, the, in parts of Genesis, it says there were giants in the land before the flood and after, and they settled here. And it's very possible that God chose this land and wanted the Canaanites to all be wiped out because he wanted that line wiped out. Because they were his descendants of the mighty men of old who just caused violence and wickedness. And the entire world was that way, and so the flood happened. Uh, it's also interesting, um, George Lucas is Jewish, and this is where he got the name Anakin. For Anakin Skywalker. I'm a Star Wars nerd, so it's good. Um, Numbers 14. That night, all the members of the community of Israel raised their voices and wept aloud. They're really saying, you can't make me do this. They're throwing a fit. They're, they're afraid. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. That's just their go-to. If only we had died in Egypt. If only we had pots full of meat and melons. and It was wonderful. And so often, when you're right up against a hard ship in your life or, or the test, you just want to go back to how it was. It might have been terrible, but at least you knew what it was like. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. These, these, these people. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but for the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. They get it. These two men see their leaders, see Moses and Aaron. They're just falling on the ground before all of Israel, just saying, just trust God. And so they stand up and, and silence the crowd and say, this is possible. We can do this. They have very different eyes. It's the same situation, but they see it completely differently. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. So we're just going to kill all of these guys that want to make us fight. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. And so as these leaders are being threatened with death, we have God just stepping in. Just kind of settles down in front of everybody. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs I have performed among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. He's already said this with the golden calf and Moses broke the Ten Commandments. He's already told Moses this once before. Let's just start over. I'll just start with your family. We'll keep the Levites maybe. But everyone else, let me just wipe them out. It'll be better. It'll be easier. And so God is telling Moses what Israel deserves. He's probably right. It would have gone a lot better. It would have been a bunch of people 
trained specifically by Moses, and they had this. We're going to get into it, but Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power, you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, Lord, are with these people, and that you, Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath, so he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. So he's quoting God to God, saying, yeah, but this is what you like. And we have so many moments like that where you just get into that moment where you're petrified or terrified or miserable and awful, and you're, just, you're telling God, God, I know you're this, I know you're this, I know you're this. And there's just something about it that God, he, he wants us to be in that place where we just have to say and open the Psalms maybe and just read along with David and pray through him. God, you're unfailing, you're kind, you're long-suffering, please be with me. And that's what Moses is doing here. Forgive the sin of these people. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. And that's, there's a reason Moses is often such a kind of an archetype of Christ. is He's that mediator pleading with the Father saying, forgive these people. Although he does not have the power like Jesus to take away their sin. And we also see that you don't need a temple to forgive sin. You never have. It was never about that. Here God right away says, okay, I just forgave you. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. So if you take forgiveness and you, you take restoration and you combine them, this doesn't look like forgiveness. But it is. He's choosing not to destroy them. The restoration will happen when their children step foot into the promised land. And restoration and forgiveness should be separated in your mind because otherwise there's just so much guilt. I have forgiven them, but do I have to let them back into my life? Do I have to let them just be a, this toxic, toxic mess in my life? You don't. God can handle someone else. You can forgive them, choose not to act out against them, and just let them be and pray for them. And if you have a chance for restoration, go for it. Uh, but God is saying and, and showing over and over that sometimes the restoration part of a relationship takes time. And it should because we, we are so faulty and sinful and we need to earn back that trust. And so he's saying, I'm going to keep them out in the desert and their children will come in. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. And I just like that line, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. And it's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. It's just talking about a man who has his eyes on the Lord and he just trusts him. He follows me wholeheartedly. 
The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do the very thing I heard you say. In the wilderness your bodies will fall. So now it's kind of that self-fulfilling prophecy. He's saying, okay, you kept accusing me of killing you and making you die out here in the wilderness. Now it is going to happen. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness, until the last of your bodies lies in this wilderness. For 40 years, one year, for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which is banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness. Here, they will die. And there's a reality that your parents will affect your life, for good or for bad, both of them. They will have bad effects on you and good ones. And that's just, as a parent, it's kind of scary. I'm going to make mistakes and damage my kids and thank God that we have God to kind of cover, cover over our multitude of sins. But this one's a big one. Uh, for 40 years, their kids are going to be wandering in the desert because their parents messed up big time. And it wasn't just against Moses and Aaron, and they knew it. And they had the presence of God with them all the time. And they're going to accuse God of anything. But most of all, of not fighting for them when he consistently, he's watered them in the desert. They broke open a rock, and the water's poured out, and the entire nation got to drink. There's been pheasants coming in, or pheasants or quail, coming in, and they even get meat out in the desert. There's been manna from heaven, fruit of angels, and they're still against it. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, survived. And I, you just got to wonder, what would have happened if they had all trusted God? They would have just swept over the land. It would have been no problem. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? So... Before we get into the next verse, think about the courage that this nation had, or the selfishness. Oftentimes they go, they kind of blend. They're calling out the one true God as a nation, with him right in front of them. And yet they're scared to go fight some big people. To me, it's, it's not very logical, and we really are when we're faced with something we really don't want to do. We'll find as many excuses as we can to not do it. When Moses reported this to the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they set out for the highest point in the hill country, saying, Now we are ready to go up to the land the Lord promised. Surely we have sinned. They want it on their terms. They want forgiveness on their terms. They want restoration on their terms. It doesn't work like that. If you have offended somebody, you have to repent like they want you to repent. You have to be restored like that person wants you to be restored. You don't get to say, I'm really sorry I did that to you. I'm going to do this for you. Without a, you have to ask, what can I do to make this right? I'm so sorry. So just their sheer boldness. Okay, you're not going to be with us? Well, now we're going to go fight to prove that what? Nothing. It's just 
They're just making decisions out of fear and making mistake after mistake after mistake. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies for the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there. Because you have turned away from the Lord, he will not be with you and you will fall by the sword. So instead of accepting God's punishment, they chose option B, which was whatever they wanted to do. And I almost wonder, is there a, a sense of pride here? We don't need the Lord to do this. We can do it ourselves. Uh, or are they just terrified of going back into the desert and they don't want to die there, and so they're willing to do absolutely anything to get out of the desert? Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the highest point in the hill country. Though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them all the way down to Hormah. And there's a fine line between stupidity and courage, and they definitely crossed it. And it's just confusing to me that they would go without the Lord. And yet, how many decisions do we make without the Lord? Do we just blunder in boldly because we want it or because we're afraid of what would happen if, if we just waited everything might fall apart we must remember that life is not only made up of the physical every trial has its physical reality but it is also impacted by the supernatural the Holy Spirit is living and active there are often solutions we miss because we don't take it to God in prayer or wait patiently for God to make things clear and move hearts and I've made so many mistakes, and I'm sure we all have, by either just not praying, not asking God to, to show me what I should be doing, to show me how I should love my wife or parent my kids or buy this house. And, and yet, every time we pray and we wait patiently, things just work out. It's incredible. And he's not a God of prosperity. He's a God of, of prosperity of the heart, of the soul. It's not about getting stuff or opening doors for you to get more things in the, or a great reputation or a great job. While those are things you can pray about, it is, Lord, I'm worried about my heart in all of this. And there, are, there may be three options. All three of them would be fine for you to take. But God is interested in your heart while you're doing something. Not so much what you're doing. There could be three good options. There are three good schools, colleges. And he's worried about your heart while you're doing it. And we want to just say, God, I'm, I'm going to sit here until you make it so obvious. And, and sometimes that's selfish, and, and everything is really complex, and it's not always black and white. But you can trust that God cares about your heart and why you are making the decisions you're making. So what eyes do we see with? when something really hits you? What's your first response? Is it to retreat and try to go to some addictive behavior that makes you feel good right now? Is it to cry out, God, what is going on? Help me, please. Caleb and Joshua saw the same land and the same giants as the other ten men and knew that God would give them victory. And we can write, march right up to the edge of God's promises, to repentance, to confession, to conflict and obedience. And if all we consider is our strength, we'll be just like Israel, and we do that. And it's something to repent of. Just say in your heart, God, help me to stop this. Help me to see like Caleb and Joshua. Help me to know that you can do anything. We can take the land. Because we have God on our side. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, may God give us eyes to see him, hearts to call out to him, and minds that are set on him. Caleb just never wavered. 
He went into the land. He saw everything. He saw the giants. He saw the fortified cities. And because his heart had been consistently set on God, he knew the right answer. Yes, we're going to take this land. It won't be that bad. What's wrong with you people? And there's so many times I feel like God just shaking his head. What's wrong with you? Haven't I proven myself again and again and again to you? And it's so easy to judge the Israelites. Uh, We forget they didn't have the Holy Spirit right in them as we have. They didn't have that conviction that, that hits you right away as a Christian because you have sinned against God. They did have his holy presence right in front of them, so they're not like they can say we didn't know. But what, what spirit would be said of you? We all would say, well, I would be Caleb, I would be Joshua. I don't know. Be honest with yourself. Where are you right now? Are you in a time where you feel like you're right up on the edge and it's just a lot harder than you thought? Or are you able to just cry out right away, just have eyes to see the spiritual reality behind the physical? Let's pray. Father, in this part of your word, it's so easy to judge Israel as just foolish and, and crazy and so mistrusting, and yet we do it every day. We, we turn our eyes from you and we try to fix it ourselves, or we, we just make a big mess of things and blunder into our solutions and make decisions out of fear. Lord, we repent together as a church of just mistrusting you and not looking towards you and not standing on your promises. Lord, you have promised us so many good things and as we go into the table, help us to remember that you sealed them, that they are for sure because of your body that was broken for us and your blood that was shed for us. Help us, Lord, to just rest in your promise, to be like Caleb and have a different spirit about us, that people will sense that different spirit and that we'll follow you wholeheartedly. Lord, help us to just work with you in this time and and open our hearts to you and let you speak. Help us to lay down burdens, to be uplifted, to just just focus on being with this God who who wants us. We thank you, Jesus, for dying for us and, and for coming to life again and bringing life to us. In your name, amen.